If you've got your Bible, um, would you just kind of put your open up to Mark chapter 6? We are moving through the book of Mark, talking about what we learn about the king, this king that said he was a new kind of king that came to the earth and what his kingdom looked like. And Mark begins to uh, describe to us and begins to tell stories. It's a very fast-paced gospel written to people in Rome who were under persecution, and he was trying to encourage them some 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection the truth of what they were taking on as followers of this Jewish rabbi. This was a, remember this, they did not have it yet of the Bible, the New Testament such as we know it. This was evolving. This was one of the very early written documents that we have. Mark and a few of the letters of Paul. This is quite early on. And so part of as we go through this, what I want to try to give us is perhaps a sense of what they were experiencing. I, I mean, I don't know, but I'm trying to do my best to put myself in the shoes of the people who were both reading this and the people who were experiencing this because they didn't have the benefit that we do of looking now, understanding the cross and the resurrection. And so sometimes I think we can miss some really important things if we don't try to understand what it meant, perhaps meant to them as they read and, and both read the Gospel of Mark and experienced what we're going to be reading about. So, um, before we get to what's up here on the screen, I want to look at the first uh, six verses of this. Um, this uh, Jesus has been ministering. We've, we've had story after story talking about his unbelievable power over nature, calming a storm, uh, a man with uh, mental, uh, I mean, demonic possession that came out of just sort of a crazy uh, a sense of him, of, of healings, all these things. And Jesus' reputation uh, was growing to the extent that he could barely move. He, he had become the rock star of Galilee, and he could barely move for the crowds, the people that would come and try to touch him that were sick or in need, or people that wanted him, and everybody wanted a piece of him. So, uh, he is, um, uh, in beginning of chapter 6, what we see, read is, he went away from there, this is the area where he just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So we have to even stop there to look. What was Jesus' hometown? Okay. Well, he was living at the time. Mark 2.1 tells us he was living. His house was residence such as whatever it was, was the town of Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee in the north part. There's a several cities like Bethsaida and Capernaum, and you've, you, you will have heard of some of them because that's where he did a bulk of his ministry. And there were many things happening in those towns. Whenever he hit those towns, people, crowds would follow him and touch him and all these things. Nazareth was his hometown. It's like some of y'all going home to Minnesota or something. You know, it's not where he lived. It's about 30 miles away. But we all know when we go home again, it's always a challenge, right? Uh, I, re I remember, and you probably do too, when you go home again, you don't want mom to treat you when you're 57 like you're 18 again. And, you know, you just, you, you, we always step into kind of a natural sense of when we go home, 
we're often defined by what we were and what people perceived us as. And so as we read this, I think we could all kind of relate that Jesus, as he, his disciples follow him to his hometown, to Nazareth, and on the Sabbath, he began, he was a rabbi, so he would begin to teach, to expound in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So what do, what do we find out? They thought he was pretty insightful, right? The revelations he was coming up with, like, who is this guy? And something was happening with physically that they could see the, the wonders and works of his hands. He was doing something that got their attention that said, this guy's something special. So that wasn't unusual. As he went and preached in synagogues, we've seen this reaction before. What typically has happened then is people have believed and they have come and they've tried to energize, engage that healing power, but not this time. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? So here's your trivia question. We know now four of Jesus' siblings' names, right? Did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Well, we got four brothers. I'm sorry, sisters, we don't know the name, but I'm sure they had beautiful names. But they, we, we have at least a couple of sisters, it says, are not his sisters with us. So we don't know how many, but we name at least four. So they were still living there. They were still the local guys there. Uh, and they took offense at him. It's really the key thought here. They took offense at that. Why would they take offense at him? What had he done to be so offensive? He was speaking words of wisdom. Mighty works were being done by his hands. But they took offense at him. Well, I think the answer is pretty clear. We know from earlier passage that the family had been trying to do what to him? They'd been trying to have him put away as crazy, right? Earlier on, we looked at his own family thought Jesus was touched in the head. I think sometimes we, we get some sort of uh, renaissance or medieval portraits of Jesus as this sort of haloed figure walking along and the very ordinariness of the man should strike us over and over again, particularly in the book of Mark, how ordinary he was. His own family thought there was something wrong with him. And they took offense at what they saw. So it says something about how human he was, completely human and ordinary. But it also says something about their posture toward him because they had the choice and tradition ascribes the book of James being written by this James who is mentioned here. The James who probably was one of those who had the unbelief. But even he came to the point where he called himself a servant of this Christ. Every one of us has the opportunity to see this Jesus for who he really is. And the call of God is in each heart and Bob prayed, how does God reveal Himself? Why do some respond? It is a great mystery. What I can tell you is our job, my job is to proclaim the full gospel. That 
He wishes none should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. And I would urge you to look not at this man who, whatever you think of him, whatever has been presented to you by someone, you know, you've heard Jesus proclaimed by people who, he didn't sound very good. I've heard Jesus, I love Jesus, and I've heard people proclaim Jesus, and he didn't sound that good to me either. Because they created a Jesus in their own image. And this is exactly what his brothers and sisters did. They looked at the Jesus they thought they knew. Isn't he the people in the town? Isn't he just the carpenter's son? Isn't he just that guy growing up here? Who is this guy? And the result was, what a mysterious thing. He was still fully man and fully God. He was still fully capable. But something about their posture of unbelief meant he was hindered. There was a barrier of operating with the gifting that he wanted. He wasn't able. I still think it's pretty amazing. He was only able to lay his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. Most of us would settle for that. For him, that was a bad day. Right? I think that tells you the extent of Jesus' ministry when they say something like that and they say, boy, that was really nothing. So, I would just, in looking at this, I just would really encourage us to look at the Jesus who is fully God and fully man and not put the barriers upon Him. We have two stories that follow this. One is the sending out of the twelve apostles. And I'm not going to read that. I just want to say one thing about that. These apostles, these twelve that He had called, were completely and utterly inadequate. As I was reading over this, I just want you to know they did not have good theology at this point. They were a mess morally still in terms of they were still going to deny him. They were still going to do all kinds of things. Later on, we're going to see they're going to try to call fire down from heaven to destroy an entire village that doesn't agree with them. These guys were not fit for ministry as we perhaps would think they are. And can I encourage you that you are inadequate to do the things unless God has called you to do them and then He gives you the authority and the adequacy to do everything He's called you to do. But people say, well, I couldn't do that. I'm just not ready. I'm not trained enough. I'm not whatever. You have every bit of gifting to be the person and the minister in your home as a parent or in your workplace or in anything God has called you to do if you'll submit to Him you have it because of what He's done, not because of who you are. They didn't have it, and neither do I. I can't tell you how inadequate I feel. You know, and Yeah, I've been to seminary. I can tell you that does not make you adequate. <laughs> it doesn't. It's a good thing, but it doesn't make you fit. The only thing that does is the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit given by grace alone for you and for me. From there we go the story of the death of John the Baptist. And uh, I, again, I'm not going to, to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the next story, except to point out one thing about this. King Herod, uh, we learn, we're going to learn that he beheads John the ba- has beheaded John the Baptist because we're talking about him. But one thing I want to point out, the others said, 
Um, they were, Herod was talking about who Jesus was because he heard about his reputation. And some said he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he has miraculous powers. Others said he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. There was confusion about who this king was. And it got around to the courts of power. Who is this king? Just want you to keep that question in mind. Now, I want us to look together. Uh, at this story. This is uh, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to read, read it through, and I want you to just either close your eyes or just, I know many of you have heard this story many times. Try to hear this story fresh. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And many saw them going and recognized them, and there they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. First thing I want us to look at, many of you know that this is the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. Okay, that's something that you throw a Bible trivia thing. But I think it's important because I think there's a pivotal nature to this story that I think we can miss. What's the context in which this story takes place? Jesus is encouraging the disciples to come away and be alone because they were exhausted. They hadn't even had time to what? To eat, right? We've all reached that point in our work lives or our busyness where I forgot to eat, right? And you easily get hungry, but it, I'm telling you, that's not good. It's not good. We understand it, but it's not a good thing. And so Jesus is looking for their their needs. He's looking after those who are uh, under him and following him. He's being a good boss, as it were. He's 
He's saying, let's come away. Let's be by ourselves. So they sail to a, to a part of the lake. And Galilee's not that big, but word gets out. They see where the boat's heading. And you can just see it, right? The little crowd just rushing around the lake and they're, you know, trying, let's get there before the boat. It's like in a golf tournament when the golf ball hits and every, you know, if you watch golf and everybody runs around to the little ball to get right as close so they can see the next shot. They saw where he was going and they all got there. So here he is trying to get rest trying to pull away for a little bit, and they step off the boat, and there's just a gigantic crowd waiting for them again. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe that's your. Maybe you'd get off and think, that's great. Look how the people love me. Maybe you'd just be, that would be awesome to you, is that, you know, you, you need a time off for your boss at work, and you need a three-day weekend, and, you know, Friday comes around, and you get home, and your entire office is set up in your living room saying, there's a big crisis, we need you. Maybe that's your idea of just like, you know, you need help, if that's the case. (laughs) I want you to see Jesus' reaction to this, because it is amazing to me. What what does it say? I mean, I would be frustrated, frankly. And that's probably the best I would be, would be frustrated. And Jesus, no, it doesn't seem that he is, or if he is in his humanity, he says... Now they saw him going and recognized him, ran there on foot from all the towns, got there ahead of them. When he went on shore, saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that phrase. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The compassion that's in Jesus Christ for you and for me when we don't know what to do, when we don't know where we're going, He's not frustrated with you. He is compassionate. When you're lost in whatever situation or circumstance, when you don't know how to get out of, whether it's the frustration, the anger, the depression, when you're caught, He's not mad at you. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to guide you to a safe place. It's the first thing I want us to note. The second thing is that as this crowd is like sheep, aimless and, and maybe scared, he begins first to teach them. He begins to bring them God's Word because ultimately he knows what they need, what's going to really feed them is truth. And so at some point, the normal you know, human needs come up and they realize that they're hungry and they're out in the middle of nowhere and you know, we need something to eat. And we That part of the story we tend to focus on because it's the miraculous part where they go and how are you going to get food and we love to think about how the bread, you know, I, I'm not, not going to focus on that because it is cool and you know, to just have a few loaves of bread and fish and then all of a sudden there's lots and you know, whatever. So that's, that's great, but I, I want to focus on something else. I learned something this week. Uh, I learned a new phrase for those of you young, forgive me. I know I'm older. Clickbait, okay? Anybody over, anybody over 50 know what clickbait is? Okay, alright. So this is, cause I was on, I think it was Weather Channel, and it's like the, um, uh, I don't know, some picture of a wave and an ambulance somewhere, and it says, this wave hit this ambulance, you won't believe what happens next. That's clickbait, right? Now, depending on which site you're on, you know, oh, I'm not, I can't click that. If I click that, I'm dead, right? Weather Channel, I figure, is pretty safe. And, it, you know, it wasn't that great, frankly. I think, the, you know, some water ran by an ambulance. It was, but they got me to click. That's clickbait. They got, my, my daughter's doing some things for somebody, and so she introduced me to that word. I understand exactly what it is. We've all been tempted to click there. 
I want you to look. I can't, you, you're not going to believe, if you, we can look with new eyes, you're not going to believe what happens next. As Jesus says to them, you feed them something. Let's see what, let's see what happens. And I, as we read through this, um, the picture may or may not strike you, but I think it would have struck them, and I think it definitely would have struck the readers of this gospel. Here's what he says. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, and they said, five and two fish. And there he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Interesting, the green grass. Not just the grass, the green grass. To set them in groups. And not just any groups, in groups of hundreds and by fifties. Then he takes the five loaves and two fish and he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. He breaks the loaves. He gives them to his disciples to set before the people. I think there's a lot of images that this would bring up for people who were raised in this culture. Because this is not the first time that God has made food appear from nowhere. One of the pivotal moments in Jewish history is during the walks in the wilderness where they have nothing to eat and God provides that bread, right, every day, manna. And He provides each day for them to eat. But at some point, they say, we are so tired of manna every day, right? You know that story? And so God says, uh, okay, let's, um, let's get you some meat. You've got a Bible, and you can find the book of Numbers, the the fourth book of the Bible. It's in Numbers 11. And so, in Numbers 11, we'll look at um, verse 22, because the people are complaining about not having enough to eat. And so Moses says in verse 21, we'll run into it, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. But God, you've said, I'll give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Just like the disciples. Really? We're going to feed this huge crew on, on this? What does God say? Well, he says, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? And will that even be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? Would it be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand short? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. It's the exact same picture. There's not enough food to go around. And I won't read the entire story, but by the end he's saying, you're going to have quail coming out your nose. It's exactly what he says. I'm not, not even a paraphrase. That's, he says, there will be so much you'll have quail coming out. Think about that. Elisha, uh, in 2 Kings 4, the prophet Elisha is faced with a very similar problem. He has to feed a hundred prophets. 2 Kings 4, 42. Elisha, remember, had the double portion of the spirit of Elijah, the sort of perennial, the, the pinnacle prophet. So it says, a man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing the man of God 
bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in the sack. And Elisha said, Give it to the men that they may eat. But the servant said, How can I set just this before a hundred men? So we repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat, and they ha- will have more left. So he set it before him, and they ate, and they had some left. You understand, this is not the first time, this feeding of the 5,000, and for Jews and for others who would read this, who would be familiar, they were very familiar with this. They would have recognized this is like Moses. This is like the prophet. Do you remember what we were just talking about with Herod saying, is this John the Baptist coming back? Is this a prophet coming? He says, well, it's like that, but it's different. Yes and no. Yes and no. Isaiah 55.2 gives a vision of what the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God, we're talking about the king and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. Listen to what the kingdom is like when the Messiah comes. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water. If you don't have any money, come, buy and eat. How do I buy if I don't have any money? Right? It's like a buffet, free buffet. Do you think that would get, if it was good food, do you think a free buffet would get pretty good attendance? That's what the kingdom of God is like. Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money, there's no cost. Why do you spend your money for that which isn't bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me truth. Remember what He gave them when the people were hungry. He began to teach them. Listen and eat what's good. Delight yourself in rich food. Come to Me. Hear Me and your soul will come alive. This was a dead crowd. We are dead without God and the Spirit. Our spirits are dead. Yes, we're alive, but we're dead. And you and I are dead just as surely as they were if we don't have Jesus Christ, if He has not saved us. And He was fine to feed them for the day. And that's what we look at is the, wow, there were a few loaves and a few fish and there were more. It's like the Jesus social plan. If we could just do this, we could solve world hunger. Right? I've heard people say stuff like that. No! You're, we're missing it. Yeah, after this, he could have capitalized. Do you not think, if he had crowds before, do you not think he could have had crowds now? If he says, well, not only can I heal, but I can feed everybody. This is when, in another gospel, it says, this is when they tried to make him king. And what they didn't understand was he was already king. Because he is priest, he is prophet, he is king, and the, this feeding of the 5,000 begins to pull back the hiddenness of who this king really is, because he's not an earthly king. He only is an earthly king in the sense that he created this, and this is the, this is the venue in which we can understand him, but he's so much more. What does he do to these groups of people? He sets them in fifties and hundreds, and they would have clearly understood Moses 
the prophet, the lawgiver, setting people down in groups of fifties and a hundred, it says, I won't, I won't go through and read that if you want to, I'll point you to the scripture where it is, of Moses dividing the people. And remember what they were, his compassion on them was like sheep without a shepherd. And he takes them on the green grass and he sets them out, the covenant people, and he sets out this shepherd and he brings them and he says, I'm going to feed you right here, right now. And he begins to teach them. And by the, when they got hungry, he fed them. He's not unconcerned about your and my physical needs, but believe me, we're tons more concerned about our physical needs than our need for God. As, as human beings, that's our default position as we get our stuff. And he says, remember Isaiah 55 in the kingdom, he says, guys, there's a free-flowing banquet. Herod's banquet that we didn't read about where John the Baptist was slaughtered was a banquet of hedonism. People were getting drunk and eating, and I'm sure they thought they were at the pinnacle of life. And the end of that was death for all the things that weren't in their world, John the Baptist killed, and he says, my banquet, no cost, and life is at the end of the road. We're going to continue to see as we move through the book of Mark the way this kingdom operates and the way this king operates. Now, you can't come into relationship with this king on your own like, oh, okay, well, I, I think I'll just start to, to follow Jesus and that's it. Y- you come on his terms or you don't come at all. He's laid it out because it's true in the way he, he as the perfect God, perfect man has laid it out. And I'm sorry if it, if, I mean, don't like it. I don't know what to do. Uh, it just, it is the way it is. Once you have embraced this king then, though, you do have many choices to make about if you're going to experience this kingdom. There were people who through their unbelief and through their posture didn't experience all that God wanted for them. And it can trouble us to see, well, how is it that Christians, I can tell you I've met a lot of Christians, and you probably have too, who don't experience the life that God wants for them. You you know, He can lead you to the green grass, but He isn't going to make you eat. <laughs> right? Lead you to the water. I want us to see that Jesus in doing this miracle, this isn't about feeding hungry people, physically hungry people. This is about revealing a king who matters for eternity. And if we can see that in our own context, see who he really is, this will change our lives. Because he's, he is available to all who will call upon him. But you've got to lay down your own way and your own desires and desire him. And for then, eternal life begins now. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a banquet You've laid out for us. Lord, what a free feast sits in front of us that You have made available Your Spirit You have died for us in order that we don't have to suffer the guilt and shame of not being all that we're supposed to be. We fall short in so many ways, Lord, but You don't hold our sin against us. You've laid it all on Jesus. 
Lord, all the things that bind us, all the fears, all the things that keep us locked away, You so desire to feed us and to lead us like sheep, Lord, to a green pasture where where we understand that there is a God who loves us unbelievably much. And for Your sheep, You've laid out such a banquet, Lord, to live with You and through You. Before we close, I just want to encourage you to just... God is knocking on your heart and you just feel like, well, I would like to be free. I would like to know this, this shepherd. The Bible says you just call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That you turn from your own way and you declare that you believe in Him. It's as simple as that and as hard as that. If you have questions or are not sure what that means, please come talk to me or another leader and, and let's talk about it. For those of us who've declared our dependence on the Lord, I invite you, I invite all of us to continue to walk in His ways, to experience the goodness that comes when we walk in His ways all, all of our lives. I want to take just a brief period of silence before we close and just let you take a minute to meditate, to talk to God. Lord, thank You for being the God who continually pursues us, who loves us without end. We look to You and we continue to put ourselves into Your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.